The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Please stand with me, if you would, as we read John chapter number 11, beginning in verse number 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. Her brother being Lazarus, who had just died. Verse number 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This morning, pastor is going to bring a message entitled, I am the resurrection. I'm looking forward to continuing through this series here uh, where we talk about I am Jesus. Now, <laughs> I say that. I'm not, if you're visiting with today, I'm, I'm not saying I am Jesus, all right? I just want to clarify that. I'm just, that's the title of this particular series as we're working our way through the Gospel of John, looking at all the scripture passages where Jesus says, I am and then he uses a metaphor. He uses visual imagery to help us more deeply understand some characteristic of who he is. And now I think most of us could agree on the fact that God is so infinite and Christ is just so mind-boggling that trying to pin down his infinite nature in one simple word uh, would be inconceivable. And so Jesus Christ in his wisdom uh, used a lot of opportunities to explain who he was, and he even took it a step further and used metaphors and visual imagery to help us more deeply comprehend who he actually was. And so over the last few weeks, we've looked at the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread. Uh, we looked at where Jesus said, I am the light. Uh, we looked at where he said, I am the door, and where he said, I am the shepherd. And as we've been studying how, as, as we've been going through this, we've been studying how the I am uh, reveals who we are. That is to say, because he is the bread, I can be satisfied. Because he is the light, I can have wisdom and, and be enlightened. Because he is the door, I have access to his presence. Because he is the shepherd, I can have confidence that I am being protected and directed every step of the way. So this morning we're going to continue in this series and look at this next statement here in the Gospel of John where Jesus says here in verse number 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and we're going to study what this means for those of us who believe in the person of Christ. Uh, before I go any further, I, a couple of years ago when we were still at the old property down in southwest Fresno, we had the little chapel there. And, and when I first kind of became the pastor here, I was unlocking the front door early on a Sunday morning and, and I was ready for church and all this kind of thing. And, and I opened up the front door, and maybe some of you would remember this if you ever had to do this. You couldn't go into our other building through the front door because the alarm would go off and the only way to turn off the alarm was on the other side of the building and every once in a while I would forget about this and so I went in through the front door the alarm started going off and it's really loud and screeching and so I ran through the building I went to turn it off and then I began to make my way you know through the different rooms making sure everything was set up I went to the offices 
And uh, I don't know, maybe it was a few minutes later, I was making my way through the auditorium and over to where that lobby was, and no joke, I came around the corner, and literally there is a gun to my face. I'm like, what? You ever get those moments where, like, the adrenaline just uh, surges through your body? And I'm looking, and there's this police officer with his gun right at my head. And he said, uh, who are you? I said, I, I'm, I'm the pastor, you know? And he's like, so he's looking at me at that time. I mean, I look young now. I look really young then, you know? So he's like, this teenager with a suit on, thinks he's a pastor, you know? And he's, so he asked me, he said, do you have any identification? I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, maybe I have some identity. I reach down. He's like, hands up. I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know, I, you know, those types of things. So I told him, I said, right there, I said, there's a brochure. My picture's on it. You know, it was like the best I could do in the moment. And uh, man, I was just, I was so nervous. I was so scared. You know, I was thinking to myself, what type of thief robs churches with a suit on? You know, I, I was like thinking, Come on. Eventually, we were able to work it out. The alarm had gone off. The police had come, and uh, we had that little little uh, altercation. So that was that was my one uh, police story uh, with the police there. And I felt like for that moment, you know, I was maybe going to be in, in need of a resurrection experience, you know. Uh, but thankfully, all that worked out. And 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 as we look at this particular passage, we see that really this is going to be the last miracle recorded in the life of Christ. And so it's kind of this pinnacle, monumental experience here, this monumental miracle in the life of Jesus Christ, where he is literally going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And uh, in fact, this is the third time that we'll see in the Gospels where he does this, and one of several times throughout the scriptures where we see this actually takes place. So let me take a moment catch those up who maybe are not familiar with this particular story. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, all right? And uh, this message, his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus who was traveling in his ministry and told Jesus, hey, Lazarus, your friend is sick, nigh unto death. Well, Jesus hears about the fact that his friend is sick, but instead of going to Lazarus, he just waits. Not just a few hours Not even just a day. Literally, he waits a couple of days before doing anything about this, you know. And he's ministering and and fulfilling some of his ministry that the Father had sent him to do. After a couple days, he's talking to his disciples. And as he's talking to his disciples, uh, basically they try to discuss whether or not they're going to go back. And there's kind of a little bit of tension there because where Lazarus was from was not a place that was very accepting to Jesus' ministry. In fact, if you look at verse number 8 here, you'll find his disciples saying, to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stonest, stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Are you going to go back to the very place uh, where they're trying to kill us, all right? And so there was this, like, there was a little bit of tension on whether or not they should go. Finally, they go back, and that's kind of where we pick up the story here today. So notice here verse number 16. I, I guess if we're going to move through this, I want to kind of start with a theme to kind of lay the foundation for where we're going today with simply this statement. God brings life to that which is dead. And that's where we're going to start with this thing today. God brings life to that which is dead. When Jesus Christ declared, I am the resurrection and the life, he was saying, I don't just prolong life. I don't just sustain life. I don't just keep life going. 
He says, I can literally take that which is already dead. I can take that which is already gone and I can breathe new life into it. I can take that which was destroyed and make it new again. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And this morning, I want to look at three characters that we're going to find in this passage and really study three specific ways each of them were literally dying, if we could use this metaphor, on the inside. And so we're, let's start by looking at a, a character by the name of Thomas. Some of you would be familiar with one of Jesus' disciples known as Thomas. He had a nickname. Does anybody remember what Thomas's nickname was? Doubting Thomas. Now, a lot of us believe that his name was Doubting Thomas because of the illustration at the end of the narrative here, the fact that you know, he didn't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. But I want to remind you, that wasn't the only place in which we see Thomas doubting. There's, there's more than just that. And one of these areas, one of these situations that got Thomas this nickname is found in this passage. Uh, notice what he says in verse number 16. Literally, uh, you, when you read it, and, and I know sometimes we read the Bible and we, we kind of look at it through these lenses, and I, I just want you to look at it through a very just human lens from the perspective of just imagine just a guy talking, all right, just a, a, your average Joe, and, and you almost can sense some sarcasm a little bit in what he's about to say. See, see if you see it with me, verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, I don't, I don't get the whole Didymus thing. How many of you, uh, I mean, God, your parents didn't name you Didymus, all right? And so uh, I'm thankful for that. Then said Thomas unto the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Well, way to go, Thomas. That's real optimistic, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, Thomas is like, you know, here Jesus is going to go back to where they want to stone him, where they want to kill him. And Thomas kind of sarcastically says, well, I guess we should go too. I mean, Let's all die, right? And that's kind of the tone, and, and that's kind of the spirit in which he shares here. There, there was some serious doubting going on in the heart of Thomas. Not only, I mean, at this point, Lazarus is nigh unto death. At this point, Thomas is thinking, there's not a whole much we can do anyways. And, and even if we do go, all that's going to happen is we're going to die. Do you, do you see the pessimism here? Do you, do you see just kind of Thomas' spirit that's being uh, kind of displayed in this passage, which kind of leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is this. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're here this morning, and you literally feel a little bit like Thomas, where you feel a little bit, I'll say it this way, uh, maybe dead in your doubts. Like, there's just, there's just doubts that you have. You're, you're, you have doubts about, you know, future, and, and maybe you feel like uh, part of your marriage is dead or dying, or you feel like your future is dead or dying, and you feel like maybe your finances are dead or, or dying, or maybe some relationship in your life, and you just feel like it's, it's dying, and maybe you feel like it's a career thing, and you just feel like, man, my career is dead, or maybe it's your faith, and you just feel like, man, this thing is... It's, it's, it's dead, and you, you doubt that there's any life that can come after this point. And I think if we were to be really honest and really transparent with one another, all of us have had seasons where we've had uh, major doubts about things in our lives. 
I think all of us, if we were humble enough to admit, would say, I've had moments like Thomas where I doubted whether or not the marriage could, you know, be uh, restored. I, I've maybe experienced doubts on whether or not my future was ever going to come back together the way I had hoped it would be. I think all of us have gone through seasons of hopelessness. We've all gone through seasons of just kind of anxiety, of stress and frustration, worry, wondering if, if the future could ever come together. And so it manifested in our hearts as doubt. We doubted that God could, God could do something in this arena. We begin to doubt that God could do something in that area of our life. I'll be honest, as I was preparing through this, I saw a lot of myself in Thomas. Like, I've had many times in my life where there were perceived challenges in front of me. And and maybe you've experienced this too. And there was a particular challenge in this arena of your life or in that arena of my life. And, and I hate to admit this, but there have been, there's been times in, in my own head and in my own thinking, my response is kind of a little bit like Thomas's. Like toward God, it's a little bit kind of like, all right, God, this is where you're leading. God, this is where you want to go. I'll follow you, but it's probably going to kill us. <laughs> God, this is where you want us to lead the church? All right, that's great. It'll probably kill the church, but hey, God, if that's what you want, we're following. I mean, I've been here before. Like in this almost sarcastic type of a way. Like, yeah, God, this is, okay, that's, this is where you're going. You want me to follow? Okay, yeah, 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 God, I'll do it. I'm following. I mean, that's, that's what I promised to do, but I just kind of want to give you my input, want to give you my two cents. It's probably not going to end well. You ever been there? Just doubts? And maybe you were the type that went through the, you, you technically went through the motions of something. You technically maybe did what you were supposed to do, but a lot like Thomas, your heart was just like, man, no good thing's going to come out of this. Or maybe it was even like your, your doubt literally just paralyzed you. Like you, you doubted that God could do anything in your marriage. You doubted God could do anything in your future. You doubted God could do anything in this arena of your life. And it just caused you to just... Uh, throw up your hands and say, this, this, is, this is it. The doubt so gripped your soul that you literally couldn't even take steps forward anymore. You ever been there? Do any of you find yourself there right now? Doubt. Like you, wanna, you want to believe that God can do more and you want to believe he can, he can fulfill his promises and you want to believe that he can come through and do what he says he will do and, and accomplish what he says he'll accomplish but your heart is just so raked over with just doubt. Doubt to the point you've lost hope. You've lost hope for your marriage. You've lost hope for your children. You've lost hope for your future. You've lost hope for your faith. You just feel hopeless. The doubt has so literally ravished your soul. You're just like, I don't know about this. But I want to remind you That Jesus Christ doesn't just give us hope. The Bible declares He is our hope. His very 
presence is our sustaining hope. He doesn't just offer new life and resurrection. The Bible says that He, in and of Himself, His essence is resurrection, and His essence is life. In His presence there is resurrection, and in His presence there is life. With God, all things are possible. Where one time it's easy to see in a spirit of doubt, in a spirit of hopelessness, to wonder if anything will come together, with Christ you can look at that same situation, you can look at that same issue, and now all of a sudden, because Christ is there, because Christ is influencing the perspective, now there is a hope that begins to kind of grip your soul, because you recognize God doesn't just bring things back that are broken, God doesn't just bring things back that are sick, God has the ability literally to resurrect that which is dead. You say, my marriage is dead, my relationship with this individual is dead, you see, my finances finances. They're not dying. They're dead. I want to say to you, you serve a God that is our resurrection. He literally can take that which is dead and make it alive again and offer new life in Christ. That's the power of your God. Man, you might feel dead in your doubts. I I love the statement found in Mark chapter number nine. The man's talking to Jesus And he's asked, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe. But can you help my unbelief? How many of you would be honest? You've been there before. Like, like I believe. But then a part of me doesn't at the same time. How, how many of you are, how many of you, that just, that's complex a little bit. Like, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, like, we tend to get this idea that Christians are like these people and they're just 1,000% certain about everything that God says. And they're just stalwarts in the faith, you know. And I, I, I wish I could pretend that that was me. That's not me. This verse represents me a whole lot more than the ideology that boom, I just got it all together and I'm always a thousand percent confident and I always got it figured out and I'm a hundred percent certain about everything God leads in and everything he guides in. This verse would explain to me, Lord, Lord, I believe. But you got to help my own belief. Sometimes I lose hope that there's hope for that family. So Lord, help my unbelief in that area. Sometimes I lose hope for individuals. My God, I say I do believe, but you're going to have to help my unbelief. I lose hope that a situation can turn around and I have to cry out, God, I, I do believe, but you're going to have to help that part of me that's struggling to believe. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's so real. Too many people try to market Christianity as being this very clean-cut, little perfect, everything, and it's, you know, just this... Perfect little, and the Bible's much more real than that. It's much more raw than that. It's much more authentic and organic. It, it meets humanity right where humanity is at. That's what I love about these things, because the Bible recognizes there are going to be seasons where there are struggles. It was C.S. Lewis who talked about the reality that faith at its essence had within it seeds of doubt. That if there were no seeds in doubt in that concept that we call faith, it wouldn't actually be faith at all. It would be called maybe certainty. 
And so God would say, have certainty in this and have certainty in that. But the reason he doesn't use that language is because faith understands, just like we saw in the passage before, that there are seeds in the corner pockets of our heart that do struggle. I've heard it said this way, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is simply trusting God of 1% more than you trust your doubts. Faith isn't the absence of doubts, it's the presence of God. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like you're dead in your doubts. I want to say to you, there's hope. Let's keep moving on here. There's another character, not just Thomas, but you'll see a a lady, Lazarus' sister by the name of Mary. Notice what she says in verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming. Now remember, it's been a couple days since Martha sent this message to Jesus. He'd been known to do miracles. He had been known to heal people. And Martha knew this as a friend of Jesus. And so as quickly as she could, when she saw things were getting bad with her brother, that this was not heading in a good direction, she sent a message. And for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't come. Now, I'm not going to dive into this because I believe Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. But in this story, we realize that in God's providence and in God's sovereignty, there wasn't that in the moment she asked, she got it. And I, I think there's something for us to understand in this. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll ask Jesus for something and then we want it on our timetable. We want it done in our way. And when it seems or when it feels like God's not working on our timetable. Like he doesn't jump to attention when we call. We start, well, I don't know about this God thing. Ah, you know, and we let it feed more doubt. Rather than trusting him for who he is, trusting his providence, trusting his sovereignty. But notice this, it says here, then Mary, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Notice this, but Mary... This was the other of Lazarus' sister. But Mary, she sat still in the house. See, Jesus is going to find out in a moment. Lazarus already died. In fact, he's been dead. By the time Jesus gets there, he's been dead for a while. He's not just mostly dead. (laughs) He's dead, dead. For you Princess Bride people out there. Dead, dead. Notice what Mary does. She just sits still in the house. I mean, picture this thing. Lazarus is dead. Martha called for Jesus, but he didn't come right away. And when he comes, Mary hears about it, but she just... She just sits still, it says, in her house. Can you you get the picture here? She's in mourning. She's broken. She's discouraged. And so she's like, what's even the point? Like, why meet Jesus now? My brother's dead. My brother's gone. This is not a time for Jesus to come. This is a time to mourn. 
Which leads us to the next thought this morning, and that is simply this. Maybe you're here this morning, and you feel dead in your discouragement. Like you asked God for something. You, you, you sent a message to him. You prayed and you asked God to do a miracle. You believed that he could and that's why you prayed. You sent the message to him because you believed he was the only one who could do something about it. And, and you called on him, but it just didn't seem to happen in your time. And, and while God's been waiting, everything died. Like you've been praying for your marriage to be restored and while you were praying, it died. And you were praying for a relationship to come back together and while you were praying, God seemed to not care and it, it seemed to die. And you, while you were praying that God would restore finances or while you were praying that God would bring, you know, bring life back to something in the process of it dying, it literally died. Now you're just discouraged. And now you're not even so much, you you know, the presence of God doesn't mean as much as it once did. We can go back and I can show you a story about the other time Jesus came to Mary. And she she literally can't get enough. She's sitting at his feet. You remember the story? Martha was cumbered about working here, serving here, doing all this. Mary just wanted to be with him. Now there was this moment where she asked this one that she cared so much about, this one she adored, this one she loved, Jesus. She asked and and Jesus didn't respond in the way that she felt he should respond. And so when he comes, she doesn't even go out to meet him. She just sits still, mourning in the house. You ever been so discouraged? You don't even want to be with Jesus. So distraught, you you don't even want to spend time with God anymore. I mean, let's get real. I think if we were to be honest, all of us have had those seasons. Discouragement just cuts to the core. Dead in our discouragement. You see, doubt will often lead to discouragement. There there might be a progression here. We allow those doubts to fester, and before long, those doubts turn to discouragement and hopelessness. I'll be be really transparent with you, and, and some of you who are really close to me, you already know this, but I struggle with discouragement. I don't know that I would call it clinical depression, but discouragement most definitely. I had a season about ooh, a couple years back, and it was just an intense time on my own life, and I believe God was using a lot of circumstances to try to grow me and develop me. And, and, and those of you who were around, you, you knew the time that we were, we were going through. We were, we were transitioning from an old property to this property, and so then there was just all the stuff, you know, with kind of building-type things, and, and uh, it was one of those situations where everything that could go wrong did go wrong on the property. How many of you remember this? I mean, it was just like all kinds of crazy stuff. And I remember one day I got a phone call and, and uh, literally in, in one phone call, the bill went up. I think it was like $75,000 in one phone call. I was like, ah. Oh. 
we were going through some stuff, even some staffing type issues, and, and there were some health things going on with some folks in the church, and it was just, it was just a, it was a very, it was, the circumstances of life were incredibly overwhelming. We got into situations where it was just like, I mean, we di- didn't know how, like, financially, it was all the pieces, like, we just, you just didn't even know, it was kind of looming over you, and then I get this phone call, and some of you will remember this, and, uh, we had already invested, I mean, tens and tens of thousands of dollars uh, to transitioning here to this property. And we had to do the uh, TIs in this building and just tons and tons. And we'd already put so much money into this property. And then I got a call from the city. And the city said, hey, I just, just want to let you know, uh, I don't think you're going to be able to use this property. <laughs> like, we've already put like $60,000 that we can't get back. And you're telling, well, yeah, there was a little issue at, like, with the parking spaces. And so we couldn't, couldn't make it work out. And like, basically the phone call was like, you know, just wanted to say sorry. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, oh, my. You know, we've been casting vision for a year and been talking about it. And we were all excited. And remember it kind of coming around, you know, with the banquet and just trying to figure out how we were going to make all this come in. It seemed like the bills were coming in faster than the money was coming in. And I was thinking, man, maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't what God wanted for us. You know, you start doubting in the night what you thought God gave you in the light, and you're just, you know, really struggling with those things. And I remember that week, and it was bad. It was, it, I, <laughs> it was, it was really bad. I remember one occasion I had to get up to preach one day, and, and literally I would just come home in the evenings, and this is no joke. I, I wish I were exaggerating this. I literally, I'd get home at 5.30, I'd put on my jammers and climb into bed. Put the blanket over my head and just lay there. It's just, it just discouraged. And I know this is nothing new. You, I mean, I think a lot of us have experienced aspects of this. So, I, you know, maybe there's some who, and you haven't. And I'm just being real, I did. I remember I had to get up to preach trying to remember the timeline right as all this is going on and i'm just the the financial pressure and the leadership pressure and the future and all these things and literally i i was like i told my wife she came in hey you got to get ready to go i told her i can't do this i can't preach i'm done and my wife preached one of the best sermons <laughs> that you would have ever heard I mean, she just started preaching the gospel, started reminding this, okay, I know you're listening to the voices of your past and you're listening to the voices of your experience. And I know you're listening to the voices of people, but you have already been given a word from God. And that is enough. She talked for about five or ten minutes and I'm just weeping. I can't do this. Like, I literally, I couldn't do it. It wasn't like, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen. I'd been doing that for months and months and months and months. And I just just came to the end. I was done. And she just preached the gospel, preached the good news. Being an echo of his voice into my life. And we prayed together. I came to church, and we preached. Stayed focused on Jesus. Put the emphasis on Him. I, I wish I could say, oh, since that day, I've never, I've never gone through discouragement a day since. That would be a lie. 
I would love to come to a place where God would completely take that away from me. Where there would never be a day where I'd battle that again. I, I would hope that would be the case. And I hope it doesn't make you feel insecure that, that you go to a church with a pastor that struggles with some of those things. You say, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable going to a church where, where our leader struggles with discouragement. Let me say this, our leader doesn't struggle with discouragement because our leader's name is Jesus. <laughs> I do. And maybe you do. But praise God, our leader doesn't. And in him, we have victory. In him, we have strength. And in him, we have everything we need to move forward. During that time, I, I read a few books because I was, I mean, really, I, I literally, and I've never shared this before. I literally didn't. I, 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 was on, I, was on, I was so close to resigning, I can't even tell you how close. I mean, it was, it, I mean, you know, it was but the grace of God through all that. But through that, I just, I was reading different things, and I read a couple of books. One was entitled Pastors at Risk, and I, I read that like 75% of pastors struggle with depression because of the physical and mental and spiritual pressure. And, and you know what the reality is? A lot, of you, a lot of you struggle with those same things. You know exact, You know what I'm talking about. And for those of you who've not struggled with this thing, praise God for it. Man, that's awesome. That God's given that grace. Uh, and there's maybe other things that you wrestle with. We're just talking about discouragement for a moment. But one thing I was reminded of, and that's simply this. My disappointments are often God's appointments. The very thing that's discouraging me, God uses to encourage others. What I am disappointed about, he turns into an appointment of his sovereignty and his providence and his grace. He works all things together for good to them that love him. That's what Romans chapter number 8 verse 28. I love what this says. I think they've got it on the screens here. But I want you to see that it says we know that all things work together for good. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say here that all things are good. Lazarus dying wasn't good. It was the result of the curse. It was the result of sin. It wasn't good that Lazarus died. What you go through isn't necessarily good. Your marriage going through what it's going through isn't good. Your health going through what it's going through, that isn't good. The fact that your body is breaking down is not God's original intention. He, before sin, there was none of that disease. It's not good. I love what this passage says. We know that all things work together for good. Don't make this verse say something it doesn't say. (laughs) He's saying that he can take the broken pieces of your life and he can take them and work them together to make something good from them. He can take the broken things in your experiences and make something good from them. One of the things that helps me during these times is, puts my heart at ease, is knowing that what was meant for me will never miss me. And what misses me 
was never meant for me. And there's a peace that comes from being able to trust God in that way. Maybe you're sitting here and and you just feel like you're dead in your discouragement. Maybe a while ago you were dying in your discouragement and now you feel dead in your discouragement. Like it has murdered you. You've been assassinated by discouragement and depression. This is not something that's dying. This is something that's killed you. You feel wrecked and broken and lifeless. Yet I want to say to you, there is hope. Because Christ is the resurrection. Christ takes dead things and makes them alive. Christ takes things with no breath and no life and puts breath back in them and life back in them. Dead in doubt. Dead in discouragement. Notice verse 21 here. Then said Martha unto Jesus, this is the first sister now, Mary's still at the house, sitting there still, mourning the fact that her brother is dead. And Martha comes to Jesus, and and I want you to sense the passion in this, okay? I know these are just words on a page, but you got to remember, this is a real sister who loved her brother, who had asked for her friend Jesus to come. He didn't come in the manner in which she thought he should. And I, want you to, I don't want you just to read these for words on a page. I want you to feel the emotion that somebody in that situation would be feeling. And you can almost sense, and I know it's hard for us to think of it this way, but you can almost sense a little resentment and maybe even a little bitterness as she says in verse 21, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother had not died. That's the first words out of her mouth. No, hello, how was the trip, you know? You stop at some nice destinations. If you would have been here, you wouldn't be dead. That's where it started. Basically, Martha says, why did it take you so long? You say, whoa. Martha said that to Jesus. Let's be honest. Have you ever said something like that to God? God, what is taking you so long? God, if you'd have shown up earlier in this situation, my marriage wouldn't be dead. It wouldn't be where it is right now. God, if you'd have showed up earlier in this situation, my son wouldn't be where he is right now. My daughter wouldn't be where she is right now. My grandkids wouldn't be where they are right now. God, if you'd have shown up earlier, we wouldn't be in this mess. Let's be honest, I I think if we were to be very transparent, most of us have at least had thoughts like that. Which leads us to our final thought this morning, and that is simply this. Maybe you're here, and you feel dead in the delay. You've been asking and asking, and you're looking out the window, checking your clock, When's God going to show up? Like you have this health situation and you're like, is he going to show up? Like you've got this financial pressure and you're like, when's he going to show up? You've got this relational issue and you're like, when are you going to show up? 
and you feel like you're dead now in the delay, like God just took too long, and now it's over. Now it's dead. The end. And you feel dead in the delays. Like I told you earlier, (laughs) when we originally talked to the owner about this particular facility and retrofitting it for kind of church use and things, he was very gracious. He He didn't charge us any rent while we were going through the building process. So he said, hey, I won't charge you any rent until you start using it as a facility. And that was a huge blessing right at the first part. That was, it was really encouraging. And we, we, we were looking at that and we were like, man, this is awesome. This is really neat. And he said, you know, he says, I do these type of things all the time, build outs. He said, they tar- hardly take any time. He says, you'll be in in three months. He says, in three months, we'll be set, ready to go. This was in uh, March or April 2012. I was like, three months. That's awesome. I'm excited. I didn't know nothing about nothing. They didn't teach me about this at seminary, you know, I mean, so three months, sounds good to me. I mean, literally at the three-month mark, I mean, I mean, we had maybe filled out a couple pieces of paper, and not because we weren't pushing it forward, like, and I don't want to blame anybody at City Hall, that's not what I'm trying to do right now, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying. (laughs) If if you're visiting and you're from City Hall, please, I apologize. (laughs) I love you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, we're for you. But man, I remember three months. And we were so excited. I don't know, many of you remember this. We were so excited. We came in here, and these were a bunch of offices. And so we came in and knocked out all the walls. You remember this? And we came in, and we sledged down. And there was this huge wall. Like, literally, this was a huge wall here. We're, you're, we're knocking down the walls and everything. It was like, this is, this, because that was easy. We, we, like, we could, we, ambassadors, good at breaking things, all right? So we were good at that. We tore those things down. Like, then six months goes by. Nine months go by, and I'm driving. I'm, I'm headed to speak somewhere, and I get a phone call from the owner. He's livid. He's mad. He's like, I thought this thing was going to take three months. Kind of like, man, are, are, you like, are you like not really serious about this? Are you just kind of playing with us? I mean, do you really want this building? And I'm telling no, we are doing everything we can. I promise you, it's just taking time at the city. I mean, I, you want to go down and you know, go to bat for us? be my guest, you know, and kind of go to those type of things. He, and he literally implied that if he would, he would be- break the contract, take his facility back. <laughs> but he said because we had already destroyed it, he couldn't do it. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so what was that three months? It ended up being 18 months from the time we signed the paper <laughs> to the time we got the occupancy permit. 18 months. I mean, it was just long. And the story I told earlier was kind of in the middle of all this type of stuff. Some of you are looking around, you're like, what about this? Okay, 18 months. <laughs> Do you ever just feel like you're in the middle of just these delays and you're like, it's taking longer and you feel like at any moment the whole thing could just fall apart because it's taking so long? Like, like literally, the t- the, it's not even like you don't believe God. It's just like taking so long. It's like whatever the situation is, is dying in the process. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and maybe it's in some arena of your life, and you're like, God, I, I know you could do something about this, but it's like, and I know it's not your fault, God. I'm not blaming you for this. I just, God, I just want you to know that because you're taking so long, this thing's dying. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> It's going to fall apart. It's a little bit how I felt in that moment. Like, God, I, 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 
I know you're powerful and I know you're strong, but it, you, this thing is taking so long, it's going to die in the process. <laughs> you feel dead in the delay. Isaiah 30 says this, and therefore will the Lord, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. What? God's going to wait to be, gr- what is, what's he talking about? He may be gracious. Go on to the end, it says, blessed are all they that wait for him. Blessed means happy. <laughs> happy are those that wait on him. You see, sometimes he waits to do a greater miracle. Yes, it was pretty awesome if Jesus would have come and helped Lazarus get rid of the, rid of the flu. And everybody would have been like, ooh, yay, Jesus. That was awesome. That, good job, Jesus. But when he looked into a graveyard, to a tomb with a body that had been dead for three days, the the Bible says here, his body stinketh. And in that moment where Jesus declared, Lazarus, come forth. People weren't standing around like, ooh, Jesus, you're, that's neato. <laughs> what a cool trick. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> I mean, the way that the rumors and the talking just would spread, rose, risen from the dead. And he was able to get more glory. Oftentimes, why God waits and allows that thing in your life to die is so when resurrection happens, you can't take any of the credit for it. Because God reserves the glory for himself. It's his glory. I would remind you today that God's delays are not God's denials. You say, he's deli- why isn't he fixing this in my health? And why is he not fixing this? His delays are not his denials. Maybe you're here today and you feel dead in your doubts. And maybe you're here today and you feel dead in your discouragement. And maybe you're here today and you feel dead in, your, in the delays. I want to say to you today, there is hope. Because you're God. He doesn't just provide life. He is life. He doesn't just give resurrection. He is resurrection. He declares, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I take things that are not breathing and I put breath into them. I take things that are dead and I bring life to them again. That is what your God does. I'll leave you with this and we'll wrap it up. The one thing that you'll find in common between Thomas and Mary and Martha, every one of them, their focus and their attention and their perspective was on the circumstances. And I just want to say to you as a piece of wisdom, anytime your focus and your perspective is just zoned in on whatever the earthly circumstance is going to be, promise you it's going to lead to nothing but doubt discouragement and depression every single time. So I would say to you in closing, 
Don't focus on the circumstances. Focus on the Savior. The one that is the I am. The the I am who tells us who we are. You see, the I am of the resurrection tells us that what is dead can experience new life in Christ. But you've got to look unto Jesus. Get your eyes off of the circumstance. You say, but this thing's dying. Get your eyes on Jesus. But this thing is, it's falling apart. Get your eyes on Jesus. This thing is coming unglued. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you, if you, if, if you look to your spouse, I'm, and I know for many of you, your spouse is there for you, but they're not enough. If you look to people in this church, and God bless them, but they're not enough. If you look to me, I'm going to let you down. You must keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus fixed on him because he is our life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.